You're listening to the Sick Mom's Guide Podcast, Episode 16. Welcome to the Sick Mom's Guide Podcast. If my mom can do it, you can too. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am Jen Hardy. I'm the mom of seven children. At the date of this recording, they range in age from six to 28. I have had chronic illness my entire life, but it wasn't identified until recently. So I've slowly been declining this whole time, chasing diagnoses. My most recent one is muscular dystrophy, which explains a lot. I have a few other eclectic diseases thrown in there. And throughout this parenting journey that I've had raising these children, I have come up with a lot of different systems and ways to cope and handle dealing with being a parent and dealing with the medical system and all these variety of things while spending a lot of time in bed or on the couch. And I have this podcast so that I can share them with you and we can encourage each other and make each other's lives better. Unfortunately, sometimes to make our lives better, we have to go through a little bit of pain. Today's episode may be tough for some of you to listen to. We're talking about narcissists, what it's like if you've been raised by one, what it's like to be in a relationship with one, and what to do if those things have happened. A narcissist, according to dictionary.com, is a person who has an excessive interest or admiration of themselves. Dr. Jones is going to get into a little more description later, but they also manipulate those around them and their situations to make everything go in their own favor. If you've been raised by a narcissist, your take on yourself and the world around you may be different than other people's and you might not even know it. So I encourage you to listen to this episode, really hear what she's got to say, because if you've been in one of these relationships or maybe someone around you who you love is in one of those relationships, you can identify that and this can really help make your life better. Dr. Jones has got some great ways to identify and to move forward in a positive direction if you realize this is a situation you're in. So without further ado, here she is. Well, Dr. Jones, I am so glad to have you back. This is so exciting. I'm glad to be back. Can you reintroduce yourself for people who didn't hear your last episode? All right. So yeah, I'm Dr. Natalie Jones. Um, I'm based out of Oakland, California. I have a private practice there uh, where I work with women of color who are victims of narcissistic abuse or abusive relationships. Uh, And then I also work in a prison where I provide um, psychotherapy, individual and group psychotherapy, as well as assessments uh, to inmates in California Department of Corrections. Um, and then I'm trying to think of what else I do. And then I also have the podcast, A Date with Darkness podcast, and which is specifically de- dedicated to women uh, who have suffered from abusive relationships uh, with narcissists. Okay, well, and that leads right into what I'm excited to talk to you about. It's it's very depressing and very sad if you've lived through it, but um, narc- living with a narcissistic mother, um, there's so, I have so many questions for you. Okay. Um, so, so as an adult who has lived with a narcissistic mom, let's say somebody grows up and they think, oh my gosh, my mom has done all these things, yeah. right? And I know I don't want to be that mom. 
what steps can you take to ensure that you are not, because it's so easy if you only know one thing, right? You were only raised Mm -hmm. in one household. So easy to fall back into things that you never thought you would do. Mm -hmm. You have some, some things you can do. Well, and I guess we can even start with like, how do you get healthy and get over that? There's so many questions. I don't know where you want to start. (laughs) I just want to throw 20 questions at you all. Yeah. Um, So how do you, how do you get out of the saying that you have, uh, how do you get through having a narcissistic mom? And I think, I think the first thing to do, um, because a lot of people, they have this idea um, that when they grow up, they don't want to be anything like their parent, right? They say that, you know, I have this, this dysfunctional childhood or, you know, and I don't want to be anything like mom or dad. And so I think the important thing to understand is a lot of times the heart and the brain are two different things. Um, so we know this up here, but we don't know it down here in our heart. Um, and so there's a, there's this thing called modeling, in which, <laughs> in which, um, you know, we we kind of we follow the direction of people who are closest to us. So even though we know on some level that mom or dad was very dysfunctional, we still grow up believing that that's our normal, or we still grow up looking up to them because they're our role model. And a lot of times, people don't have any idea of what healthy or normal is unless they watch TV and then TV is not always um, our best indicator because I, I, you know, I'm a woman of color. And so, and I also grew up in the eighties. And if you ask people of color in the eighties, you know, especially those who grew up in dysfunctional families, what their idea of a healthy family is, most of them, if not all of them will often say the Cosby family. And we all know the Cosby's aren't real. I mean, right. they're just they're just not real. I mean, you have this doctor, this lawyer, and they're just like always present and just, you know, they're always into their kids' lives and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so we all know that that is real. But one of the ways in which you would, you would want to start getting yourself help and to start looking at, um, you know, whether or not you had a narcissistic mom and to be in tune with that, um, is to pay attention to how you feel and what you're doing when you are around that person. Because a lot of times we have an abusive parent. We have to overcompensate to be in the room with that person. So we have to do a lot of work to even just be in the room, even talk on the phone or just be in that person's existence. So, you know, if you're having to, there's a lot of hesitation before you even engage in conversation like, oh my God, I really don't even want to talk to this person. Or you have to go through a process of dissociating, which means like separating yourself from even really truly being engaged in that conversation because you feel like you know what this is going to be. You know that this person is going to call you names. You know that this person is going to put you down. You know that this person is going to ask you for money. You know that this person is going to cuss you out. So you have to mentally prepare yourself to almost go into this like war zone. Then that's another indicator of having a narcissistic parent. Okay. And then, um, I think the other piece of it is, is that, um, you know, you feel like you can't have a conversation 
with this person, like a healthy conversation, like you can't problem solve. You have to hide a part of your life from this person because they will um, turn around and use it against you. Like when in a moment of weakness or if something's going wrong, you feel like this person is going to come back and attack you or use something against you or try to hold it over your head in some way, some sort of bargaining tool or to try to gain control over you or to embarrass you publicly. Those are some signs and things that you would take to notice that this isn't a healthy relationship. And so if you notice yourself start to starting to do things like that, you would definitely want to pay attention and be more aware of those things and like, okay, what's happening here? Why am I doing this? And what's the reason I'm doing this? What am I hoping to gain? And a lot of people will often say like, I have to respect my mom or I have to respect my dad. And so this is why I have to do these things. Well, you have to remember and the respect is a two-way street. And so a lot of times when I'm working with my clients, I have them define what respect is. And so I'm, you know, it's a, it's a very little word that has a very powerful meaning. And so, and then we often look at whether or not it's going both ways. Well, are your parents respecting you or not? Or is it just where they're kind of holding you emotionally hostage and telling you or, 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 trying to control you to be a certain way so that they can get what they want from you, but you don't get what you need from them at all. It's not a healthy relationship. It's a dysfunctional relationship. So holding that space and and kind of really looking at what those values are in place. What is your, what is your definition and understanding of what respect is? Because a lot of times um, when we're being abused or we have a narcissistic parent, that word is, misconstrued or it's used in such a way and that it's taken away the true meaning and the true value. So really starting to understand and look at what that relationship is like. Um, and often, you know, paying attention to what people who do truly care about you say about that, you know, and, and a lot of times when you have a parent like that, especially if you have a sibling, you know, you and your siblings will oftentimes have those just, dis- dis- discussions or make fun of, you know, how mom or dad is a certain way and how you, you may or may not know these things. And that's the other thing too, is like, um, truly when we have a narcissistic parent, a lot of times we may feel like we don't know them. We might know their behaviors and how they act around us and the certain things that they say, they may lie to us a lot, but we might feel, we, we typically feel like we don't, truly know that person like we don't know the intimacies or the intricacies of that person we may not know about their childhood or how they grew up we just know what they want us to know so would you like if somebody has a narcissistic narcissistic parent and they always feel bad and like you're saying they put them down or they swear at them they call them names and you you know like you cringe when the phone rings, right? Because you know what's coming. Is it healthy sometimes to break that tie? Because I know a lot of a lot of children of parents like that feel so guilty because the parent makes them feel so mm. bad all the time, but it's so hard for them to get feel good about themselves ever when they have that constant voice telling them that they're worthless. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um it's absolutely, it might even be necessary or life-saving to break that tie because a lot of times 
to when we're in an abusive relationship like that with our parent, um, we're in an abusive relationship with two people. Uh, people who are being abused by their parents, they're in a relationship with the actual pa- parent, and then they're also in, re- in a relationship with the fantasy or the idea of what their parent should be or what they are hoping that one day they can be. And so when I'm working with people that have that significant abuse history, I'm helping them to reconcile what is reality versus what is fantasy. And a lot of times when we talk about separating ourselves, the hardest thing for them to do is to separate themselves from the fantasy of what one day they hope their parent could be for them, um, which is never going to happen. Your mom is 80 something or however old she is who she is and so it's not likely that she's going to change unless she goes to therapy and she actually makes that conscious effort to change but if these these are your parents and they've been this way for as long as you've known them and they don't make a conscious effort to change chances are likely that they're not going to so it's up to you now to make the change and so we can make that conscious decision to end both of those relationships with the real parent uh, and then the the idealistic parent. And then that allows you to allow people in your life that can fulfill those needs. You can have what I like to call a surrogate mom or mom-like figure or dad, surrogate dad or dad-like figure, which means that those are people in your life that can fulfill healthier roles for you. The idea of what you had hoped that your mom or dad could someday be. I think that's brilliant. You know, and I never heard the idea of, of the two, the two relationships, mm-hmm. but that makes so much sense. Cause because a lot of people, they just, they do, they wait and you, and they think, okay, if I break this tie, then I'm, then that person who I know is in there, that person that's going to treat me like I've yeah. always wanted to, that's going to yeah. come out one day, I'm risking that by cutting that relationship. But what you're saying is you're not risking that yeah. because it's not going to happen. And that if someday there by some miracle, it actually would happen. It's not like you've, you know, like built a wall around around your house that yourself that can never come down. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but that idea that there, that there are two people, because there's, I've talked to so many women as an adult woman who have gone through this so many more people than I ever thought it could be a thing, you know? And, and um, it's interesting that, that, yeah, they, they're afraid to cut that tie, but, I, but that having that second fantasy, parent in their head that makes way too much sense and I like the idea of 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 having that like that surrogate parent almost Mm. and that can happen at any age right like Mm. someone's even in their 30s and they Mm. decide you know it's been 37 years I realize I deserve better than this that it's that it's okay to give yourself permission to do what's right for you right definitely right for you correct yeah. Wow. Okay. So you've got all, you, you were raised a certain way and your you know, your parent has treated you like that growing up all this time. And now you have kids and you think I would never do that to my kids. Right. Mm-hmm. I would never treat them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, we, we are who we were raised to be. And sometimes even when we might not want that or even realize we're acting that way, mm-hmm. things might come out. So do you have any good ideas for people? Are there any things to look out for in yourself maybe 
so that you don't start that cycle or so that you can break yeah. it? Well, a lot of times, I, again, I would say this 99.9% of the time, people that were raised by abusive parents um, and have children of their own, a lot that manifests in some way with your own children, right? Because again, your parents, whether you like it or not, you know, um, if they were in your life, uh, they were a role model. It doesn't mean that they were a good one, but it does mean that they were a role model. And so a lot of times, even though we think it up here in our head that I never wanted any to be anything like my mom or dad, those behaviors can still manifest in your relationships with your own children. And I would say the number one indicator in the women that I've worked with is that typically what happens when they lash out at their children or they notice something coming up Um, from their childhood and is now playing out with their children, the number one thing that they typically feel is guilt. Um, They feel guilt like, oh my gosh, I just, I am, or I'm acting like the person that I said I never wanted to be. And so now I feel really bad or really guilty about that. And so I would say to definitely pay attention Um, to those feelings of guilt. And if you notice that coming up, start working on it right away. So going to a therapist, um, going to Barnes and Nobles or Amazon and looking at some excellent self-help books up there uh, that they have for stuff just like this. Also, you know, again, the people who love you and care about you, um, if those people are around, they're going to be able to spot that out and they're going to tell you. You know, so paying attention to what they have to say and really, you know, some of us when we grow up with a lot of us when we grow up with dysfunctional parents, it's really hard for us to take criticism, even if it's like healthy criticism or just feedback from people. So you feel like injured in some way. You feel like, oh, my God, they feel like I'm not good enough or they've attacked me or my character. And so I'm noticing that coming up where somebody who cares about me is really trying to give me some constructive feedback. But I feel hurt by that or I feel less than because of that. So paying attention to that and, you know, um, being able to speak with that and kind of check yourself about that and seeing what that's about, where I feel like I can't take criticism or constructive feedback from somebody who cares about me without feeling like I've been assaulted in some way. Okay. So those would be some really big indicators. And also too, I think the biggest telltale sign is going to be your kids, right? If you are, if you are manifesting behaviors or if you're acting out in a certain way towards your children, your children are going to be the biggest indicator. And so there's often going to be some sort of reminder of something like they're going to remind you of yourself or they're going to remind you of your brother. They're going to remind you of some things that your sister so-and-so may have said, and they're going to tell you that, or they're going to, your kids are going to act a certain way that you might have when your parents abused you. So they're going to shut down. They're not going to say anything. They're not going to feel like they, they're going to feel like they can't come to you with their problems or that they can't talk to you about what's really going on or that you're not an affectionate person or they may even be afraid of you or intimidated by you. So that's, that's also another sign to, you know, be observe, observe what your children, because their, their body language 
uh, or their lack thereof, or just their lack of interaction, or just how they interact with you in general is going to be a telltale sign. Um, if you notice them gravitating more towards another parent, maybe like their best friend's parent or something like that, because they feel like they are safe, safer with that other person than with you, or maybe they may even feel safer with your spouse or your partner than they do with you, then that, that could be something that should be looked at as well. Okay. You mentioned books. Are there any specific books that you can think of off the top of your head that are good? For um, so there's um, a lot of books. There's a book called Narcissistic Families, um, like Assessment and Treatment, I think is what it's called. I'm not sure who wrote that right off the top of my head. So I can look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah. If there's, um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not quite sure that you had a narcissistic mom or a narcissistic parent, but you're kind of, you're wanting to, to see and really clearly identify behaviors that would be like, Oh God, this is that person. And it's very in your face books. Um, anything by HG Tudor would be good. H is in Henry G is in giraffe Tudor T U D as in David O R okay. HG Tudor. He really writes, um, he, he spells it out very clearly for you. And I think he even has some videos on YouTube that you can look at. If you're not a reader, you can look at that. Also, if you're, um, and I know you said books, but, um, videos, Kim Saeed on YouTube also has a lot of great videos. Saeed is S A E E D. Okay. Uh, Kim Saeed. She also has great videos. She does a lot of stuff on relationships um, and narcissism, but it also, it's very applicable to that. Um, anything, um, Lundy Bancroft writes really good books. Um, and then also there's a book called Narcissistic Mothers. If you're looking for that, um, I forget who wrote that book, but there's Narcissistic Mother. Interestingly enough, most of the work on narcissism and families focuses on the mom, which I think is a huge bias um, because there's actually way more narcissistic men than there are women. Um, But I think, you know, again, this is a gender bias or role bias where mothers are expected to be nurturing and caring and, and have all of these good qualities where there's not so much of an expectation for fathers uh, where it, but it, you know, it actually comes out that there's a lot more narcissistic dads, but unfortunately there's not a lot of books that have been written on that. So I might just do one myself, who knows, but (laughs) you know, so those are, those are some good books that I can tell you right off the top of my head. Also um, a classic book on a classic author is Dr. Susan Forward. Susan Forward, uh, she wrote a book called Toxic Families, and she also talks a lot about, um, you know, with the reconciliation of who uh, your your parent or family is now versus, you know, actually, she even talks about it after death, um, how we have a much more difficult time reconciling or understanding or accepting that our parent was narcissistic after they left us because after someone leaves us permanently, we often romanticize and we often wish a lot more that things were a certain way um, that they were closer or that, you know, maybe it was just me, that type of thing. So Dr. Susan forward writes really good books. Um, You know, if you, 
if you're thinking about abandonment in terms of, um, you know, parents that just aren't there or they're very inconsistent with their loving and caregiving, Susan Anderson is also another good reference for that. And she actually has a workbook. Um, again, those are her and, and Dr. Forward are classics, but they're also very good. Okay. Awesome. Also, I didn't ask you, can you kind of define what it means to be narcissistic? Well, there's, yeah, sure. There's, it's, it, there's a couple of different definitions. I mean, there's one that I myself would go by as a, as a therapist or clinician or whatever you want to call me, um, in which we have to go by what's called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statist- Statistical Manual, which is where I'm actually diagnosing someone with narcissistic personality disorder versus what we use in pop culture, right? When we say that someone is narcissistic and, you know, when we're talking about pop culture, I'll talk about that one first, because that's what most people are familiar with when they say that their partner or ex-boyfriend is a, is a narcissistic or their parent was narcissistic where they're typically talking about someone who has a lack of empathy they're very um, manipulative. So a lack of empathy means that they, they can't understand or sympathize with their feeling, their feelings. They don't care about their feelings per se, or they, the parent or whoever the narcissistic person is puts their feelings above everyone else's. So they feel very entitled. Um, They also are very manipulative. Uh, And so, you know, you hear people say the term gaslighting a lot. So that's basically where you're trying to manipulate the situation in order to meet your needs and not, you're not worried about whatever, whatever, what anyone else's needs are besides your own. Um, so there's, there's a lot of cruelty that goes into that. And so there's, um, you know, just feeling like nothing's ever good enough for that person, but they always want more and more and more. And the relationship becomes very parasitic in such a way. So those are typically the, the, what, when you hear someone say narcissistic, you know, what they're talking about is the entitlement, the lack of empathy and the manipulative, um, nature. And then when you talk about narcissistic personality disorder, you're talking about, and and you may even find some, what you call narcissistic traits in someone, um, when you're talking about in a pop culture way, they could have what's called narcissistic traits, which is, you know, in narcissistic personality disorder, they have this sense of grandiosity where they're like, I'm better than you. You know, I'm up here, you're down here. So they put them in almost like a godlike category where, um, you know, it doesn't matter where they're at, at in actuality. They just perceive themselves to be better than everyone else. Um, and so they have this sense of entitlement or wanting to control everything and everyone around them. Um, so the telltale sign is their relationships. Um the relationships are going to be very um, short term and um, they're almost going to be like a roller coaster. Then they're going to be filled with dysfunctional. They typically have people around them who they feel like they can use or manipulate to their own benefit, but not one in which 
they are actually able to express intimacy or vulnerability because they never want you to have anything to hold over them or they don't really want you to know anything about their woes or their pains. So they're going to, they're not going to be intimate or vulnerable with you. Um, there's also lying. Um, they, they're also person with narcissistic personality disorder is obsessed with being brilliant, successful, or beautiful. Um, and they want to surround themselves with only the best. So they only want to surround themselves with people or associate themselves with people who are the best or, you know, or the most beautiful. And so they, they're obsessed with this idea of being successful or having power in some way. And so that's um, what you may experience. There can also be a delusional component to it, a delusional component, meaning that people are jealous of me or envious of me or they're out to get me because I have these things. Um, and they can also, um, it can also turn around in the other way in that they are delusional themselves. They may feel an intense amount, an, an intense amount of jealousy or insecurity or uh, inferiority or envy, all dangerous emotions to have. So that, you know, you start to see emotions like that when you talk about behaviors like stalking, um, and things like that. That's those are those very toxic emotions that you can have. Um, and yeah, and so again, that lack of empathy, or um, it doesn't mean that they can't have empathy. It doesn't mean that they just don't want to. Okay, they don't yeah. want to. And then when they do, when they do express em- empathy, it's usually they're mimicking it in an attempt to get something. So um, you, that's where you start to see charm or, you know, when they're, you know, trying to get close to someone. So you might see them put on a facade so that they uh, can get what they want. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that is very, a very thorough description. And that's, you know, and, and it's funny because I think, you know, people think about like, I don't know, they don't think about how people who fit in those things can be so toxic. You know, it's like, well, that's just how that person is. You know, that's just how that guy is or whatever. Definitely. You don't realize that by having those people in your life, though, those things are making your life very mm-hmm. unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Very much so. It's, it's, it's not bringing goodness into your life to be around. Definitely not. And it's a very parasitic relationship, like I said. And so even if you, um, you know, even if you take a look down at the most basic level, like if you watch Animal Planet, right, the animals that are going to be gobbled up first are the ones that are isolated and vulnerable. It's the same thing with this type of relationship. You're, you're isolated, you're vulnerable, um, or you're either groomed to be such that. And so even Again, if you're looking at a parasitic relationship, you often become very sickly. Like you see animals with ticks or any other sort of parasite, they get sickly. They might bloat or they might lose a lot of weight or things, you know, they they just don't function as well. And the same thing is going to be you. Um, It's going to happen to people who are actually in these parasitic relationships. Um, As you and I were talking about, there's, uh, you know, women or people that are in an abusive relationship, they lose a part of themselves. So they may actually become physically sick, right? With something 
um, because they're not taking care of themselves. They may find themselves gaining a lot of weight that you have a lot of women that get out of relationships um, that say, I don't know who I am anymore because I've lost, I've been so consumed by this person and what their needs are that I don't even know who I am. I don't even know. I can't even tell you what I like. You know, I can't even tell you what I like to do or, you know, what I like to eat because I've been so consumed about what this person likes and what they want to do and what their needs are and making sure that I'm able to check that off because I didn't feel good enough. So I wanted to make, I wanted to try to get approval from them. And so I'm doing all of these things to try to please this person as opposed to my own self. Okay. Well, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, wow. Wow. So how do people get, if, so if it's not a parent, right, that's, that's narcissistic or, well, I guess I can delete that part. So if somebody is, is in a family where they have been raised by a narcissistic parent, do they have a greater likelihood of having relationships later with people who are narcissistic? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's where that modeling comes in. That's where your first idea, your, your values come from on how to be in love, right? Your parents are your primary or your caregivers or whoever raises you or whoever's around you the most. That's where you get your ideas of what a relationship is supposed to look like typically or how, what love is. And, and, um, you know, so there's a definite influence. Again, you have outliers out there that, you know, may not follow in those footsteps for the most part, a lot of people follow in their parents' footsteps and have relationships that are exactly like that. Wow. So what if somebody's listening and they think, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is me. I, I, I thought that there was something, but I never could really put a finger on it. And oh my goodness, I see this around me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and let's, if they're, and then if they've recreated that in their adult life, is there a way, like, let's say you had a spouse that was like that. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to help that person change or are they, you know, like, are they likely to change or are they likely to stay that way? You know, people go through phases um, and some people don't want to. You know, there's even with people who come to me, they're not ready to change yet because the idea of change is frightening for them because it means that they there's there for a lot of people, there can be comfort and discomfort. So there can be comfort in what you know versus what you don't know. And so people can either choose not to change, which some that's. You know, on some level, they know it's unhealthy and they know that they don't feel good, but they just, that's all they know. And that's what they're going to stick to. Right. Um, And then there's people that they want to change. They're just not ready. They're scared by it. So every, it, it, it becomes, it becomes a stage of change for some people who actually know that they want to change. And so whenever people come in to see me, I ask them realistically, what do you want to do? Right. Um, and, and that's OK, because you in therapy, you'll be a really good therapist. You have to meet people where they're at. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, with family and, and other people like your family has the, or friends have these expectations of you. So they want you to do what they want you to do. 
because they love you and they care about you. And so they want you to get out of that crappy relationship. They want you to get out of, you know, X, Y, and Z, and they want you to do this thing and they, cause they just love you and they want what's best for you. But when they come to me, I really have to meet them with where they're at and see what they're ready to do. Because the idea of, um, you know, looking at my mom as a narcissistic parent and then changing or maybe walking away from that relationship might not be the best thing for me. Or I might just want to know how to live with a narcissistic parent or a narcissistic partner. How can I just, how can I live with that? That There's, there's a lot of people that are just like, okay, can, can we make this relationship work as it is where I just don't feel so bad all the time and, and we're still able to have some sort of relationship in some way. Cause there's a lot of people that fear letting that relationship go or the idea of that relationship go. And so you have to work with whatever their needs and expectations are at the time. And that's another thing too. You have to, as an objective person, you have to be able to pull out what your need is versus your expectation. If you're expecting your mom to magically wake up one day and be like Florence from the Brady Bunch, is you know, realistically, that's not going to happen. And this is really your mom, you know, she's whatever she is and, and she's she may stay that way. But if you're asking me, how can you? Um, take better care of yourself and stay in that kind of relationship with her, then that's realistically what we talk about. Like we can't talk about changing someone who's not interested in change. And we also have to really and truthfully define what a relationship is for you. You know, is it a relationship one that's built on trust, communication, consistency, reliability, and those things? Or is it, are you okay with having a relationship that's one-sided where you're overcompensating or you're doing most of the work in order to stay in that relationship. What is it that you want to stop or what is it that you want to change? And we can realistically talk about what that's going to look like for you and how you can get to that. And just making peace with the fact that they are who they are. Correct. And that fantasy person, that second person does not exist. Correct. Um, yeah. In no reality does that person yeah. exist except yeah. in your mind. And, okay. yeah. and how your life is going to look as a result of it. I mean, if, if you're wanting to stay in a relationship with a narcissistic person, you know, a narcissistic person is going to want what they want. They're not going to be really interested in what you want. And so that's, that's just the, the, the fact of it, if they are a true narcissistic person. Um, and so, you know, we might talk about ways in which you can have a relationship with a narcissistic person, such as um, limiting uh, contact or making the conversation superficial you know, and just, or maybe limiting it to like five minutes or maybe just limiting it to once a year, like, or twice a year, like a holidays or something like that. And just, um, you know, when you can walk away versus, you know, being in, um, you know, a relationship with a narcissistic partner. Like if you're in a relationship with a, a husband and you want that relationship to change realistically, that person's not going to change if, unless they want to. And, and for a narcissistic person, the other thing to note is they feel like they don't have the problem. 
Everybody else has a problem with them. So they are less likely to go to treatment, if at all. And typically when they do go to treatment, it's usually to prove how you're the problem and how they're so wonderful or all they want to talk about is themselves. So it's not, you know, it, it can be very difficult if downright tricky. And, and I, I work a lot with them as well, but you you really have to have an expectation of that. And with a partner, it's not going to be something where you can have a superficial relationship because with a romantic partner and, and a parent too, but with a parent, the relationship is a little bit of a different dynamic versus a partner. You know, they want things their way and they want control over you. And if you, if you're sexually intimate, you have children, um, you have investments, you have property, you live together, whatever, that's going to look different than mom or dad who lives X, Y, and Z. And the relationship is going to be a little bit different. And so therefore the actions are going to have to be a little bit different. So you can't necessarily, or may not necessarily be able to walk around um, and have a limited relationship with a romantic partner. Cause that's going to be a lot difficult. Yeah. yeah. And they're not going to want that either because they want. They not, want they want. Yeah, typically they're not going to want that unless they have moved on and they've got somebody else under the wing. And that, that happens a lot too in, with relationships with their narcissists is that, you know, they typically like to leave their foot in the door, even if they've moved on with somebody else and they, they're having a relationship. So they, they usually like to say, oh, I, I'd like to keep you as a friend or they don't, they don't there's never any finality to it. Typically they don't say goodbye. They may just ghost, do what I call ghosting, which means that they just walk out and you don't hear from them. They don't call you back. They don't return your text messages and they don't tell you what's going on. It's because they leave their foot in the door so that they can come back and use some lame excuse to come back and yeah. And just be, do things on their terms. That is, and uh, it just, that is another like a golden nugget to me um, for people to hear, because I think people, they do, they leave the people with that hope, Yeah, but it's not hope. It's not hope because it doesn't mean when they come back, it's going to be different. It means you've just been a placeholder while they check something else out. Yeah. They've, they've got, they've got, um, they've got many different people out there in the work. So they're, they're out there working on other people. So that just means that you're kind of off to the side while they're out there working on somebody else. And yeah, they, it's a big question mark, like, Oh, where did that person go? Why did they reject me? Or why aren't they calling me? Or, you know, so it creates this anxiety in you and it may also make you actually become the aggressor because now you're trying to seek this person out and figure out what happened and get some answers. And you want them like right now, because what is that about? Like, what are you, what are you doing to me right now? You're making me crazy because I, you haven't, you don't communicate with me. What am I supposed to do? All right. Well, oh my gosh. Okay. So if you're listening to this right now and this sounds familiar, Mm -hmm. you understand Mm -hmm. that maybe some of these things are happening to you. Mm -hmm this would probably be a good time to reach out and get some kind of help, talk to somebody about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that um, because living in these things, it, it doesn't get better and you don't want to turn around and look back and say, Oh my gosh, you know, I figured that out 20 years ago and I just waited for it to get better. And this has been now my life is over. Unless you make peace with it and you want this to be your life Mm -hmm. for the the next 20 years. Um, But I think, I think, and women, especially, you know, we're so willing to sit back and take things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. until it's too late. Yeah. 
So, and, and a lot of times, you know, if we can't identify it and put a finger on it and we're like, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. You have really helped today mm-hmm. lay out like this mm-hmm. is what it is. It is. And um, you've really explained it so well. So if you're listening and this sounds like a parent or this sounds like a significant other, this is the time to really do some introspection and Mm -hmm. make decisions as to what you want, because this is not going to help you feel better. So if you've got a chronic illness or depression and anxiety and you're living in this chaos, you are not going to get healthier by continuing to live this way. I agree. And I I also want to point out another thing too. If you're a mom, because I know this is a mom podcast or, you know, you're a parent. um, There's a lot of people who use their kids as justification, right? Um, I'm staying in this relationship so that kids, my kids can have a father or or parent or whatever, or, you know, um, this person is a good parent. You know, they may treat me like crap, but this is, they're a good parent. Just, you know, the thing is that if that person that you're married to or if you've got kids with that person or whatever is treating you like garbage, then they're not a good parent. Um, that is still abuse and your kids still get to see uh, you being abused on some level. And that does have an impact on them. So even if they may be nice to the children, it's still not a good thing for that parent to be abused in front of their children. It's still not a good thing for your children to be talked about like dirt and treated like dirt um, and in things like that. So that's, you know, I want to, I want to make that very clear because there's a lot of people that try to justify and say that, you know, I'm staying in this for the kids or they're good enough for the kids, or I want my kids to know their parent. Um, and, And your kids can also know your parent without you guys having to be together. Um, but you know, you definitely taking care of yourself and you being abused. Um, if you're being abused by that person, that's still abuse and that's not good parenting. So I want to make that real clear. Well, that, and, and, and as a side to that, from personal experience, I can say that if someone is abusing you, Mm -hmm. there's a chance they're abusing your children and you don't know, and you won't know until you end the relationship and it comes out. So if you're being abused and you've got kids unless it's just not good. It is just not because you don't know what's happening behind closed doors when you're not there. If someone is an abuser, they're an abuser, Yeah, you know, and if you're in a relationship and you're raising children, your girls are watching you be abused and accepting that as normal. And your boys are watching someone abuse you and accepting that as normal mm-hmm. and you are creating the next generation of victims and victimizers, whether it's the boys or the girls. Yeah, And so, um, you know, and it and it's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing, especially if you have a chronic illness or if you can't work full time and, you know, mm-hmm. but there are places that can help you. There are, you know, I know in the US we've got you can call two one one and there's mm-hmm. United Way and they can help you with resources mm-hmm. for all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's the domestic um domestic violence hotline um, that can help you make a plan, but there are ways to get help. And it's really important because like she said, you know, you, you think you're doing the best thing for your children, but staying in something that's very bad is not, is, is never doing the best thing for the kids. Yeah. So that's really good advice. I appreciate that. And um, thank you so much. So I would say, what would your advice be if someone, if a mom was in a 
one of these relationships? <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious, but I'll ask it anyway. So what would your advice be if, if there's a mom who realizes, oh, wow, you know, my partner is a total narcissist or my parent is making me, you know, if I'm, if, I, if I'm single, you know, and I'm still dealing with this, what would your advice be to them? I think my advice, you know, first of all, I think you have to sit down and really think about what this means for you. Um, because it, it, you know, your meaning is not going to be the same as the next person, right? Um, and so you really have to think about what this means for you and what you want to do about it. Do you want it to stop, or do you just you just want to have that awareness of what's going on? Because sometimes you just might want that awareness, or you might just be curious and you want to learn more, or you want to verify that this is what you think it is. And Google is a great place to start. Um, I have information on my website, drnataliejones.com. I'll have a link to that too. Yeah, YouTube, um, books and things like that are a great place to start if you want if you want to just get a little bit more clarity and insight and just verify that you first of all you think it is what it is. You might want to talk about it with your friends and other people to say, you know, what do you think about this and that and just bounce some ideas off. Um, and that's okay too. Um, so I think, you know, just the internet is a great place to learn a plethora of information because that's oftentimes where we go first to kind of seek seek out answers. And then also, um, you know, if, if you're questioning some things or if you're thinking about some things, write those things down. It's, sometimes it's helpful to look at things in black and white in terms of things that you're thinking about or things that stick out for you, especially if you're listening to a podcast like this one or if you're reading a book or something or watching a video, if you're having those aha moments or you're having those moments where something just kind of came out out to you, you know, write those things down um, so that you can see it in black and white and maybe think about it a little bit more, maybe ponder on it or talk about it with somebody a little bit more. I would also recommend getting a therapist, um, you know, so having a therapist that you can definitely bounce these ideas off of um, and talk about with regularly um, who's going to understand that I would definitely get someone who specializes in working with um, these kind of situations. Um, And, you know, if you're, you're with a partner, um, the other thing too is to always be safe especially if you're um, like researching things like this. So you may not want to do these things uh, around your partner or know, or let, have your partner see like what you're reading or what you're thinking about because the notes. <laughs> correct. Right. And so you, you want, you want to be a little bit more diligent about that. You might want to, you know, you want to start thinking about safety if you do want to learn. So you might want to only do these things like at work or keep stuff like this at your job or somewhere out of sight where this person is not going to be able to access that. You know, if you're looking at domestic violence or you're looking at narcissistic abuse um, and your partner like checks your internet history or your phone history and things like that, that's something you might want to be aware of. So you, you definitely want to do that uh, maybe at like a public library or someplace where your partner is not able to ex- uh, access that information on you or keep those kind of tabs on you. Um, yeah, so definitely. And then also, too, you know, if you um, be very selective about who you share information with, so if you're talking about it with people or you're getting feedback, make sure you're, you're very selective in doing it with people that you can trust and that are not necessarily going to go back and, uh, you know, tell 
you know, because sometimes we, we have those people that might be friends with our partner as well, or friends, or, you know, even, even siblings sometimes may go back and, and tell their parents, you know, if they get into an argument or at the heat of the moment, well, so-and-so said you were this and that and the other, and they agree with me too. And so it's just like, it creates this whole dynamic. So just definitely be careful about who you disclose that information to. But I would definitely recommend starting there, you know, again, reading some of the self-help books that we talked about. I mean, you can definitely get those on Kindle, like your cloud reader or something like that. Um, uh, Or, you know, go to the public library and read things like that. If you, if there's a safety issue. So um, that's kind of where I would start, but definitely, I definitely think therapy is a good, good um, place to start as well. I can't emphasize that enough. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing about this. I think, you're definitely going to touch some people. And um, Mm -hmm. if this is upsetting to you as you're listening, I'm sorry, but I think it's just so important for you to identify the situations in your life that you can make better and know what it is that you're up against so that you can create a good environment around yourself and around your children and around your family. Mm -hmm. Thank you again. I appreciate you so much, Natalie. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being on. That was a lot to take in, wasn't it? I wish I had had someone like Dr. Jones to talk with decades ago. I can attest to the fact that things go just as she says, and it's a very difficult situation to be in. But now you know what to look for, and you know the kinds of things that happen in those relationships. And I think that having the tools and the knowledge is the first place to go to get started in getting help. I think one of the incredible things that she pointed out was that just like animals who have parasites become sickly, so do we when we have a parasitic narcissist attached to us. Oh my gosh. I think that goes for a lot of different things. If we have unhealthy things happening psychologically, mentally, emotionally, it does work its way into our physical health. So I would ask you to just really take a look at your life right now. And if if you are going through things that are really tough psychologically, emotionally, mentally, and there are changes you can make to make that better, I encourage you to make those changes. I know that they can be difficult, but your health and your life are the most important thing because we only have one, right? We have one life and we need to get through it in the healthiest, best way possible. So I want to thank Natalie again for joining me. I want to thank you for listening all the way through. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are lovable. And I am so glad you have joined me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you are looking for a group to be part of that gets what you're going through, whether it's an emotional thing or psychological thing or a health thing, you can join us right now. We're on Facebook at Chronically Positive Moms. That's the name of the group. And there's a great group of understanding, amazing women. We have never had anybody be negative in there. They're just accepting and wonderful and they get where you're at. So you are welcome to jump over and join us. If you love the podcast, I encourage you to subscribe because then every week on Wednesday, you will just automatically get the newest, latest and greatest episode delivered right to you. And I thank you again for being here. And our music today is A New Day by Scott Holmes. 
Thank you, Scott. I love our perky little song. I look forward to being with you next week. 